1: engineering your success.
0: And to, to that end, I don't want to assume anything, but in terms of the third base talk, the rotation talk, some of the other points of conversation today, it sounds like you guys are not done for the, for the off season. Is that safe to say that there are still things to do before you consider the roster quote unquote done at, to, to whatever extent it's ever done? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm just going to say it's never done, but I'd, I, no, we're not done. We want to do some other things. Um, will they? Will everything align and those things happen? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, I'm. I told Sandy that I'm happy with the team as is. Or, but if we can make improvements, we'll make improvements. So um, we're definitely not done trying to make improvements to the team. <laughs> It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, February the 14th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No, G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, this past week has been what I call the post-Trevor Bauer hot stove letdown. I think there was this idea that after the Mets didn't spend $40 million on Trevor Bauer, that all of a sudden that money was just going to funnel out to, as Joel Sherman ha- has put it, the bottom of the free agent market, maybe the val- you know overpay for the value-driven players, the players who are on the scrap heap, if you want to use that. That's more of my term. And you heard Zach Scott, in the clip coming in saying they're not done, as he met with reporters on, uh, was it Friday? And that hasn't happened, and I could sense that there's been some agitation with the fan base, so, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. And we're going to be spending Valentine's Day with a new guest. And that guest is going to be Jeff Ballone, JB, Mets Fixed. If you guys have not been subscribing to the Mets Fixed newsletter, you're missing out. It's a great newsletter, Monday to Friday, Not only does it have a a great way of aggregating the top news, which can be very useful as you manage your life, you know, you can't spend every second of every day on Twitter, some of us, Uh, he also gives you some great opinion, and he's uh, got a lot of experience as the co-founder of a site that I really enjoy as a Knicks fan, Knicks Film School, so Mets Fix, something that you should be checking out, and he's going to be joining me, and we're going to be spending Valentine's Day together, I'm glad to be spending Valentine's Day with you, And hopefully everybody's having a good Valentine's Day weekend and staying warm if you're in the Northeast. Lots of ice and snow. And obviously there's, I could sense, like I said, some agitation in the Mets fan base. For the first time in a long time, I actually listened to WFAN on Saturday morning. Evan Roberts was doing a show. And boy, some of the calls, I got to tell you. And a lot of bad GMs in the WFAN caller base. But you can see that there's some panic. Now, before I get into, I think, what I'm going to give you, the most balanced perspective on the Mets not making moves to date. And I, I talked with JB of MetsFix earlier in the day, and I don't really think Mike Montgomery and Tommy Hunter with some minor league signings earlier in the afternoon really change a lot of what's going on. But there was some appetizers for the week, so some string beans and some sauce and some... Potatoes. It wasn't a lot of meat, but there was some appetizers. Surprising move. I thought Jonathan Villar was a surprising move, an interesting move. Speed, power. Probably not going to annoy you as much as a super sub. I know that in reading up on him, he was the kind of guy that could lose focus and make some careless errors. It was an Orioles blog. Playing for a bad team, you'll see that happen. So hopefully, with a good team, that won't be the case. It allows you to put Guillerme at third a little bit when he could sub in for J.D. Davis. VR could play, it looks like, multiple positions. I don't know how good he is at. I know he could play up the middle, and I I know he tried his hand in the outfield, but uh, third base is a whole different ball game. so I guess we'll see how he can play that. But he's more of an up-the-middle guy, shortstop, of course. And I think with no DH, it looks like that's going to be the case here in 2021. A guy like that, uh, especially with double switching out, could be very valuable. You're going to need, especially if you're carrying 13 pitchers, you're only gonna, oh, well, you gotta have five guys on the bench potentially. I don't think you could go. Could you go more than 13? I have to. I always the rules change so much. I have to look that up. But let's say you go 14 pitchers, then you got four-man bench, five-man bench. Not bad because you have the uh, the second catcher, which makes it really a four-man bench. But anyway, I'm getting out, uh, you know, away from the point. Um, guy with versatility is big when you're playing in the non-DH league with the double switches and all, all of that. And surprisingly. I looked at some advanced metrics. He was like the 40th best player in all of baseball from wind shares. It's amazing. Trey Mancini was uh, talking to Jim Duquette, spoke very highly of him. There's a star in the game that speaks highly of somebody. So, you know, there's a guy that potentially could have an impact, and it strengthens the Mets bench, which they needed. Now, the other move was Albert Amora. I would have went with Jake Marisnik as the right-handed caddy for Brandon Nimmo. I like Marisnyk, had more pop. I thought he was better defensively. I mean, I haven't seen Almora uh, every day, but I think Marisnik is a guy known for his glove. Uh, Almora, I I, I think what the Mets are looking at here is there's a guy that was a top-ten pick, has underperformed. There's obviously talent in there. Can this front office look at the undervalued asset group and put him in that? And then somehow through coaching or somehow he's working on something, perhaps on his own, that all of a sudden, a la Justin Turner comes to the forefront and now the Mets look like geniuses who knows Um, he's an automatic out in a lot of ways if he plays every day so if the Mets lineup has no DH and again it looks like that's the case the bottom is gonna look thinner you're gonna have the pitcher you're gonna have Almora you know if McCann needs a day off and you're gonna have um, Thomas Nito who I know is trying to improve offensively you're looking at a you know two-thirds lineup so it changes no DH changes a lot guys like this when they play extended time As a defensive replacement, no problem, but you know where I'm going. Now, the interesting move of the week is the Khalil Lee move from Kansas City. So the Mets get involved in this Andrew Benatendi trade, and they vulture basically a top prospect, a top 10 prospect, for basically Josh Winkowski, the third of the three pitchers that they got from the Blue Jays for Steven Matz, who from what I've been told might be the one with the least amount of upside. not saying he's bad and a player to be named later. Interestingly, we'll see what the Red Sox wind up getting as the second prospect. But Khalil Lee's the typical guy that I like to criticize because they label him a five-two player, and usually these athletic, toolsy guys never produce. Now, Zach Scott's comments on Friday were very interesting because when I first heard the name... Khalil Lee, and I heard about the five tools, and I heard about the athleticism. I said, watch, I'm going to go, and I'm going to see no results in the minor league bio. No results on baseball reference. Well, that's not true. He's had some decent numbers. He's produced. He's hit for power. He certainly could steal bases. The scattering reports are that he's still a work in progress, especially instinctually in the outfield. But Zach Scott said that they like his athleticism, but they like a lot about his performance. And that is so key because a lot of times you get into these guys and you hear about how much you know tools they have and you know they're on the top of the whatever prospect list but they never get any results so if the Mets are collecting assets here I'm fine with that is that leading to something bigger down the road perhaps maybe he's got something that we don't know they like him a lot And, you know, Nimmo's out two weeks. We're all worried about Amora. Well, guess what? Khalil Lee could step in. Now, he's lefty, which doesn't change, you know, the balance problem you may have in some cases with the Mets lineup. Um, But we'll see. So you can't go crazy. Maybe you flip this guy down the road. You're never going to argue with giving up assets. It all goes back to where they traded Steven Matz for assets. But and then on the flip side, you really could use Matz the pitcher because you're starting to see now – that it's going to be Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker, or the Mets are going to go straight scrap heap, or are going to go with Peterson, Lucchese, Yamamoto, and 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 you know who knows if Mike Montgomery, who they just signed, could go into the rotation, but um you know as it is, you really got to hope that when you gave up Mats, these assets lead to either producing on the forty man roster or helping you gain uh, something bigger down the road because that's really what the Khalil Lee trade to me. Uh, plays into, and also with Steven Match, you thought, you know, you were freeing up payroll, and I think you were for Trevor Bauer, but um, you know, more importantly, it looks like they needed assets. They needed to basically lengthen the 40-man roster and what have you. Now, the real thing I think that's on everybody's mind and what's really driving everybody nuts here, the fan base, is the fact that again, you saw Justin Turner off the board, Mets, you know, missed out. James Paxton looks like the Mets missed out. Uh, Arietta, who I liked, got a little expensive. The Mets pass. This goes back to not signing any of the top three free agents. No Springer. No Bauer. Pass on Real Muto and go for James McCann. Brad Han didn't make it into the, uh, you know, looked like they had him. When it got deep into the negotiation, Mets backed out. Rich Hill signed a very reasonable deal for a couple million bucks. Mets weren't going to go that route. So, no Japanese imports either. So, now the fans are freaking out. Is this Will Palm part 2.0? And I got to like slow everybody down. The PTSD is like out of control. Mets have made some moves this offseason. And I don't think they're done. And you heard Zach Scott say they're not done. But I keep going back to the word opportunistic. Because that's what the Mets are going to try to be. And I think right now they're looking to see who's going to fall to those minor league deals, and is there anybody they could bring in, really inexpensive? Because the musical chairs, the season's starting. Pitchers and catchers are here. Players are going to start to get some anxiety. Those that are not Jackie Bradley Jr., who are represented by Boris, who very Boris is very comfortable and has a history of bringing guys into the beginning of the year and that working out well, or late in spring training working out well. Kyle Loesch is a name you might remember. Other than that, there's some of these other guys, the Tommy Hunters, the Montgomerys of the world. They're going to start to drop. And they're going to start to say, all right, get me something. They're going to tell their agent. Jay Bruce signed a minor league deal with the Yan- Yankees. So those guys are going to be there, and the Mets are going to be able to get some of those guys. They already did. They did that earlier today. But Alderson had a quote at the beginning of the offseason, and I go back again to it, is that discipline at the top of the financial market is just as important as having it when you have a budget, or in the case of when he worked for the Wilpons, a moving budget. That can move up, can move down, uncertainty every day on the job. You don't want to make a move just because you have the money to spend to blow everybody away for James Paxton and then have some buyer's remorse because a better deal comes down the road. I don't think this is a money thing. The Mets were about to pluck down $40 million bucks for Bauer a week ago or so. They all of a sudden broke. Nothing changed. I don't want to hear about GameStop. Nothing changed. I think they're very in tune about value. Look, they've got a guy in Zach Scott who comes from a analytics background. Mets are kind of like that team now. I mean, Porter had a scouting background and had some of that, but Zach Scott's next level. Alderson has always been about value. Alderson has always been methodical. Now, I said at the beginning of the offseason, he may have been a little antiquated. And you have this chaotic front office right now. It's, it's, I'm repeating myself from prior podcasts, but it really starts to crystallize, I hope, for everybody, that I know what I'm talking about here. This is a difficult under ta- t- task they're undertaking. Historically difficult. New owner in November, GM, no GM, Alderson's the GM, he's not. Zach Scott said, I mean, this is a lot. Very little, this is a lot of on-the-fly planning to try to compete now, build the foundation, and move forward. So I think that's probably playing into some of this. But also remember, so there's, you know, I'm not ready to panic because I know the money's there and they have a good foundation. We'll talk about this with JB over at Mets Fix in a, in a few Pocota baseball references, uh, excuse me, baseball prospectus projections have the Mets at 95 wins. I've never seen the Mets get that much love from an, one of those analytics based publications. Now, I think that's a little bit high, maybe a little bit rosy, but you know, the Mets right now are good. I think they have some holes. I think there's some issues. Seth Lugo being out, huge first blow. No doubt about it. And he's had arm issues and I guess we were waiting for the day where they would crop up again because he never really got the Tommy John surgery. So a couple more of those, and that 95-win rosiness may go away, but the Mets have flexibility to be able to go out and get somebody, and money shouldn't hold them back. Now the real question is, are they being too clever by the half playing the value game? If you're taking a step back here because you're still trying to figure out if you could get Chris Bryant— or Matt Chapman for third base, or a deal that I really think if they could get these guys without giving up Francisco Alvarez, their top-catching prospect, one of their top prospects, I think it would be very difficult to give him up. I think that will come back to bite you down the road. But uh, Suarez and Gray, Eugenio Suarez and and, and Sonny Gray over in Cincinnati, Uh, that would controllable guys, third baseman who hits for power, gets on base, good defensively. Uh, a guy that could be, you know, middle of the rotation. I know he had some issues, Gray, in, in in with the Yankees. And Brian Cashman said some things about pitching in New York. But other than that one season, his first season in New York, didn't, maybe the wins and losses weren't great, but his numbers weren't bad. He wasn't big in the postseason. The Mets aren't relying on him to be an ace. That's not what they need out of him. So, I mean, they'd have to do their due diligence. But they, maybe a trade like that, fine. You know, then take a step back. But if you're just trying to win the value game, that's fantasy baseball nonsense. And if they lose because they're doing that, then they're going to get killed. Remember, Steve Cohen is from the, uh, the. He's a trader. They like winning with numbers. They like winning markets. It's it's a game. Uh, that could be some of what's going on. I hope not. I hope they're not too clever by a half. I don't think they are. My gut says no. But the the behaviors are there. Alderson has always been methodical. You guys have ten years of Alderson to see what he's about. Zach Scott's a new GM, but he comes from that background of analytics and value equation. And sometimes that gets frustrating. So you don't have much left. The minor league deals, you saw them starting to come. Once Jay Bruce took one, I said more are going to come. And then you saw Montgomery and Hunter, and maybe by the time this podcast publishes, there's something else. Now remember one thing, there's one thing which may be hanging over their head, and they threw it to the wind for Bauer, Not so much for George Springer, they backed out when it got a little expensive. But you have DeGrom opt-out coming up, Marcus Stroman and Syndergaard are going to be free agents, Conforto's a free agent, Lindor needs an extension. You probably have about $120 million worth of payroll that you have to figure out for those guys as early as, well, not all of them next year, DeGrom maybe two years, but most of it next year. And, you know, DeGrom is going to get 40 million bucks. And maybe you never know how the market goes with pitching. When Strowman and Syndergaard are out there, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, maybe that 25 million a year they get gets higher for a desperate team. So my point here is this there's a lot of reasons to be okay with how the Mets have gone about their methodical offseason. It's justified based on the chaos, it's justified based on future expenditures. They made a big deal. They made a big deal. Don't take that away from them. But I understand your trepidation, and I don't have as much PTSD as some of you do, but I have a little bit of issues with Alderson and his methodical ways. I don't think he's a beloved guy that, like a Jared Porter, could pick up the phone and pretty much talk to anybody. Maybe Zach Scott's that guy. From what I understand, and it was out there in the media, Khalil Lee trade was a relationship trade. It happened to kind of something the Mets stumbled into because they know these guys. How in touch is Alderson? He's been out of the game for three years. Now, he's not going to be the GM and the baseball guy forever. We know that. It's a transitional thing. But every year that goes by that you lose an opportunity to win is another year that your players are get, get older. Not just DeGrom, but Alonzo McNeil. You have an opportunity. You never want to miss an opportunity to try to compete and win. The Dodgers are tough. The Dodgers are clear-cut the best team in the National League, probably all of baseball. It's going to be tough to beat them in a seven-game series. Mets lost their first game to the Dodgers last week when they lost Trevor Bauer to them. So, you know, Pocota likes the Mets uh, for 95 wins. I'm not sure Mets fans love the Mets yet. And I know there's some concern, but my message to you is let's take a step back. There's reason to be alarmed and to look under the hood and say, what is going on there? There's justification for what's going on there. I outlined that. But I'm not ready to panic. But I'm not ready to absolve them either. You went from a Riverbolt gambler in Brody Van Wagenen to now Alderson. So maybe that's, you know, the other extreme. And it's funny, nobody liked when Brody was shooting from the hip. Now they want Sandy maybe to shoot a little bit from the hip. So it goes to show you, you never really could win in this town. All right, let's take a quick break. When I return, JB, Jeffrey Ballone, Mets Fix, the Metropolitan Newsletter. Great publication. While we're in the break, go out. Go to at MetsFix on Twitter. Sign up for the Metropolitan Newsletter. Trust me, you won't regret it. All right, JB, Jeff Ballone and MetsFix. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Doc Gooden's first two years in the big leagues were some of the best in the history of baseball. How did that impact him going forward? He discussed this with me on the Talking Mets podcast.
2: You know, normally you have those type of years, maybe like year five, year six, uh, once you get like 28 29 years old. Mine happened in 1920. my first two years. I remember a game in 86 where I pitched a shutout, but I only had three uh, strikeouts. The first question was, what happened? You only had three strikeouts. And, you know, you'll say the political correct words. You'll say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I just want to win. This for the team. But inside, now, that hit a nerve where you feel like my next start, I got to pitch nine innings. I got to pitch a shutout. I got to get 10 strikeouts. Um, and I, I lost some fun that I was having in game because of that. Because expectations, where it became like the media expectation the fan expectation, then it became my expectations. Where I felt that anything I did, like I couldn't match the 85 no matter what I did. But in my mind, if I didn't get the ten strikeouts or whatever, it wasn't the same. It wasn't just a win, and I wouldn't have as much fun as I should have had. And that's one of the things I regret looking back at my career now, where I allowed things, what you know, whether it's the media, the fans, or myself after uh, that point getting into my own head, that me to lose the fun because it should be a privilege playing baseball and you still win games game. You still pitch it great. Obviously, it's not 85, but unfortunately, I had my career year, my second year, or you say my first year, and you're never going to match that again.
0: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back and joining me, Jeff Ballone, JB, Mets Fix. You guys probably know about it. The Metropolitan Monday through Friday newsletter. Also one of the founders of Knicks Film School. So if you're a Knicks fan, you guys know Jeff and JB. Welcome to the program. And uh, what I would say for this week after the Trevor Bauer weekend of a week ago, it's like this big anticipation of a party. It doesn't happen. All the air came out of the balloon and there was some little appetizers thrown to Mets fans this week. But you get you get the sense after some of the signings this week in James Paxton, Justin Turner, you know, they get a little antsy. And I'm like, just calm down, guys. Just calm down. So how are you? And you know, give me a little idea of the post-Trevor Bauer appetizers that we all had a chance to uh digest this week in Metsville.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, and excited to be on the show. Actually, I was thinking about it. I've probably done a thousand Knicks podcasts. You become my a first official Mets one. So that so look at go. that, look at um, that. So ceremonious, <laughs> but no, you know, it's funny when Trevor Barr. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, talk about a free agent signing made for twenty twenty one. You know, it had everything that you know you could possibly want these days packed into you know uh, the build up on social media and obviously the different things about people. You know how they view his character and whether they want him or don't want him. So coming out of all that, and it was kind of exhaustive to me, like going through that whole process. And then like now what they do, I mean, I think Mets fans, all of us were just confused. Like you're about to spend $40 million on this guy. And I get like, if it's a certain player, you're willing to spend more than others, but suddenly now you're sitting here with like, you know, close to around $30 million of payroll under the luxury tax. And it's like, where you know you're seeing these rumors like they don't want to even take a chance on like a a starter that's not even making that much money so that's kind of I guess a strange spot we're in where I'm I'm almost wondering are they working on something else bigger because it just seems odd that we go from Trevor Bauer they're going to go over the luxury tax to yeah James Paxton like it we won't pay an extra five hundred thousand dollars to get him
0: um yeah so and it's interesting because I was saying about this in the open. There's a couple of ways you could look at it. Yes. Zach Scott was on the call with the reporters on Friday claiming they are still in the works and they seem to be an aggressive team. Even when they've been out on guys, I don't think it's because they were so far out. I mean, you, you sure. try to spend, you didn't lose that. You, you were ready to spend 40 million bucks. Like you said, I think it's the value equation. So are they playing too cute by a half with a value equation? Think back to Alderson's comments with the reporters back in November just because you're at the top of the financial food chain now, discipline is as important as it always has been, because mm-hmm. even if that big move isn't to be made now, whether it's Suarez, Sonny Gray, Chapman, uh, Chris Bryant, whatever, there's all sorts of rumors out there. It um, they may, they may not be out there today. It may be there down the road. And it's not just about, I think, the luxury tax and money, because I know everybody looks at the Dodgers, but do you want to sign $10 million of James Paxton and then an opportunity arises a week from now Um, and maybe in your mind was James Paxton really for 13, 15 starts injury history worth that kind of money when in a couple of weeks, a month, whatever, you know, somebody else is out there, or are they getting too cute because now they've got a very analytically driven front office. It could go many different ways. And I think that's where the frustration is because you still have that PTSD from the (laughs) Wilpon ownership where everybody's saying they're being frugal. I don't think it's frugal, but I do worry that there's a certain level of competence that sometimes you like to win the game of the offseason. season and yep. that doesn't always mean you're making the right decision.
3: Well, yeah. And I think, you know, we saw it with James McCann and I wasn't in love with that signing. I, I'm hoping I'm wrong about it, but the point is to me, it's a question of are they identifying players that they like in a smart way? And then therefore these other ones that maybe the fans want that they pass on, it's not so much like they're missing on them or things like that. It's more, They just don't, they don't like Paxton. He's lost velocity on his fastball. There's injury concerns. There's legitimate reasons not to like him. Or is it this kind of case of because of the front office changeover, there there isn't really this clear plan and there has been some pivots. And I think that to me is really the interesting question. I don't mind if they're sitting out because they have a plan of who they want to go get, but it's just the way it's unfolded. It almost
0: feels like they've sort of changed course a couple of times. That's, you know, and that's a very good point. And I've said that multiple times this offseason. This is very historically significant what they're trying to do. New owner November 1st. They couldn't do anything before the closing. You can't move into the house before you own it. That's, it's the right. same concept. Uh, and I don't think everybody understood that. Now, could they have started to conceptualize in their head? I think everybody may have done that, but it's not your typical offseason planning where right after the season ends, you get your group together. You still had to build a GM Sandy was going to be the GM. Then he wasn't. They bring Porter in. They fire Porter. Zach Scott goes from number two to Dr. Evil over there, you know, and uh, it's chaotic. That doesn't mean you can't win. And they're trying to win. If they were the pirates. Okay. You know what? Does it matter? Let's just focus on the small ground level stuff. Like what Bill James said, Uh, the top level news stuff. We don't need that, but they need that. So if they can pull off a winning season and a competitive season, I think they're going to go back and talk about this. Even though you and I are not in the room, there right. has to be a certain level of fly by the seat of your pants that is at a character for the owner, Sandy Alderson, yeah. and probably anybody they've brought in. But it's just, it's the life they, they, they had They couldn't close before November yeah. 1st, which I think is silly, but that's Major League Baseball as well when you think about it.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's it. They haven't had time to build the the new processes they want to use to make decisions um, they're, you know, they're hiring new people in their analytics department or along the front office. So I think all that matters. Just one last point on the luxury taxes. To me, the reason it matters and still talking about that is because of, um, and you can tell I'm an economist, my background here, but it's, <laughs> it's opportunity cost. Sure. So meaning it matters, you know, we're talking, I do Nick stuff. Like it matters in the NBA when you have a hard salary cap that if you sign a player that you misvalue, that that impacts your future roster decisions. In baseball it does only because there's this sort of artificial idea by several owners that they're not going to spend above that tax, right? So I, I guess to me that's the only part that I'm just still not sure about with Cohen is how much does he truly care about that luxury tax and if, if it's not as big of a deal then you actually can take a chance on one of these starters. Even if you don't think the contract is a great value, if if they give you some amount of innings instead of some replacement level guy from the minors, it might be worth it to you. So that's the only thing I think is a little different in a conversation in baseball than it would be, like I said, like in a hard
0: cap league. And, but to look at this other thing I thought of, and I know that fans don't want to hear this. They just want to hear spend, spend, spend. They're going to the other extreme, but. You have a DeGrom opt-out coming out. He's going to probably make $35, $40 million. He's going to opt out. He didn't change agents to keep the contract. Uh, Stroman and, and Syndergaard, if you want to re-sign them, that could be $50 million combined, mm-hmm. twenty million to $25 yeah. million in that yeah. ballpark. Lindor is going to be thirty million to $35 million. Everybody laughed when I said, look at the Bryce Harper contract, look at Michael Conforto, look at the numbers. I know he wasn't on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Boris is going to say, I got Harper this. Maybe you don't want to give him a billion years, Michael Conforto, but average annual value of 26 million. If that's Bryce Harper, Michael Conforto is going to be in that. Mm-hmm. You're looking at about 120 million that you will have to decide on very quickly, as early yep. as next offseason, with a new CBA, with a whole bunch of other garbage going on. So this could also be playing into it. Now, with Bauer, I understood throw the 40 million. I was ready to lose Strowman and essentially Syndergaard for Bauer because the downside was you still have two aces. You could build the the team. Now it's a little different. You know, your pitching could be thin. You don't know Matthew Allen's progression. You don't know Lucchese. You don't know Peterson. Uh, It could get very tricky. So when you look at an Odorizzi on a three-year deal, if that's what he gets, you might be saying now, I'm giving Odorizzi the money and that means then he's here next year and I'm letting Stroman or Syndergaard walk. I'm not ready to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think all those other things in play, maybe it's not frugality. It's, well, guys, we got to prepare for next year too. We can't just play no. for 2021. Yeah, no, there's no way
3: around it. They have a ton of money. I mean, you know, it seems like with Lindor, they're going to, that's the extension I think people expect more um, than Conforto, you know, with how Boris will will push that to the end. But, you know, you're talking probably over $300 million just on him. And then you just mentioned everyone in the pitching staff so, no, I agree. I thought with Bauer, it was sort of a play towards 2022, because even if you look ahead at the free agents, there's a lot of big names, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw. Um, but it's older guys and guys that, you know, is Kershaw really going to leave L.A.? And, and I actually think Kershaw's going to be interesting to watch. He's, he's seeing Bauer get all this money and he's going to be like, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> like, no, right. Clayton Kershaw. But the point is right. that the options next winter, you have to consider that, too. And I thought that's what they were doing a little bit with Bauer when they say, if we can get him on a short-term deal and then we don't have to sign like a Lance Lynn next year because some reason we're caught in a situation where there's no one else to sign. We'd rather have Bauer on the back end of that deal than someone like that on a long-term
0: deal. When you start to um, look at the moves from last week, um, I don't have a problem with any of them. Jonathan VR, interesting move. You know, probably a guy that, is going to get more at-bats than we think. If you're playing multiple positions, you're going to get 300 at-bats. Gives McNeil some flexibility. Um, and maybe, you know what, if there's an injury, he's not a big downgrade. He was, I didn't realize, Fangraphs had him as a top 40 player in 2019. He had a really good 2019. Mm-hmm. Bad team, kind of different when you're playing in Baltimore. But anyway, that that is what it is. I wasn't crazy about Elmora. I liked Marisnyk, but I'm not going to cry about it. You know, he's a big downgrade with Nimmo's out. Uh, but then you have the real interesting one, which is the prospect, which is Khalil Lee. And what mm-hmm. I liked what Zach Scott said is that it's great to be toolsy, but there's got to be performance. How many, JB, how many prospects do we hear are top five? Right. And they have all these tools. And then I go to baseball reference and I'm like, huh? Yeah, and yeah, I hear yeah. every year, well, it, well you got to perform. Now he's performed. And maybe he needs to learn the instincts of defense and the outfield. There's some things that they throw out there. Didn't play well in winter league. Neither did Keith Hernandez when he was a young player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's interesting, which could beg the question, is he something more than we think? Maybe we're underrating him. Or is he part of a bigger plan that everyone seems to think something big is in the offering? So, g- Give me kind of what you thought of last week's moves. And, and, and maybe some of the names you guys over at the Mets fix are looking at to round up this roster. Because they're going to sign somebody. Yep, it's correct, just going to be a value-driven sign.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that without a doubt, their bench is better, right? And, um, you know, that's important. I think with, with the Mets, you know, they're built, I always joke, they're kind of built like a fantasy team where defense doesn't matter. When you look at the lineup, I mean, sure. it, it's incredible, like how deep this lineup is. I mean, J.D. Davis, for as much as he gets, you know, sort of, sort of uh, looked down upon, it's like the guy- It's amazing, is to, up, me. It's amazing
0: to me. It's amazing to me how people don't runs. like him. Yeah, yeah
3: like- His offensive production is is, you know, he definitely adds value there. All right. So, you know, I think I was a little surprised I thought they're going to get someone who is like a clear third base utility defensive option because then you could split up, you know, some of your innings there on defense and you know they didn't go that route. Um, but no, I, I was fine with the moves in terms of, you know, the prospect from the Royals. And now now I sound like Mike Francesa uh, saying that instead of Khalil Lee. <laughs> Khalil <name>. Lee. <laughs>
1: right.
0: Right? When the you kid. don't think of the no, name, no, the by kid, the way. Kids, the Kansas City kid. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Kansas. Just say that. You know. <laughs> That's um, all you need to do. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. Um, no, there seems to be promise. You know, I guess you know, he's had a high strikeout rate. And I guess he worked on that during, at the alternate site. That was something, by the way, I found interesting, too. We know scouts had limited access to these sites, you know, with with COVID. The Red Sox with the players to be named later, they came out and said, the reason we want a player to be named later is we couldn't scout anyone. And yet, you know, with the Mets, they took a player who, yeah, he has some pedigree, so they know something, but you don't, you didn't get a great view of last year. So you do wonder like how that kind of plays into it. Um, but no, I, I think when you say, well, what, what's going to happen, I think you're going to see a depth pitching signing because for all I talk about Bauer, the biggest thing people overlook is innings. The guy pitches innings. So you took Matt's who I know he had, he had his injury issues in parts of his career, but you right. took a guy who made a, a lot of starts. You take a uh, Bauer that you missed on and it's like, you can't, you know, you need someone to pitch innings over a full 162 game season. Absolutely. Um, so I think they, they need some more depth there. Um, you know, Yoma Moda and uh, Lucchese, like I think they're good options because they have flexibility. They can be in the minors and come up. But, and you hope one of them pops, but I, I still think they're more of like spot starter type ideally than they would be like eating a large percentage of your innings. So I think someone like an Odorizzi, which... I mean, I don't know, Hefner, the pitching coach, he obviously knows him from Minnesota. The fact the Mets haven't been seemingly aggressive with him makes you wonder, is Hefner knows something because he knows him well? Um, But someone like that they need. And then, yeah, I think a bigger move's coming. I really do. I just do not see, you know, we don't know a lot about Steve Cohen as an owner, but I just don't see him in his first year being like, yeah, we're going to be well under the tech. Like, actually, I have to look, uh at the exact number but I think right now the Mets payroll would be less than last year and it's like interesting it's so strange to think they would go into the year with a lower payroll and you know again there's some complications that they got Lindor and he's on a lower
0: they had a lot of dead money last year too yeah remember going in you had Cespedes which was potential dead money right David Wright was still on there so there's a reallocation of of some of that money um But you're right. I mean, the, the interesting thing is with Odorizzi, is is a multi-year deal for a pitcher a problem for the Mets if it's not the ilk of, of Bauer because of these other guys? Right. I mean, that's really the question. So you got Taiwan Walker and you got Odorizzi, who are your impact guys. After yeah. that, do you go call Hamels? I mean, Jay Bruce right. just signed a minor league deal. One of the things that I think they will eventually benefit from because they can play that game is there's going to be a number of veterans that are going to have to take minor league deals. Jay Bruce didn't want a minor league deal. And in normal times, he would have had some team give him a major league one-year right. deal somewhere. Uh, you hear agents say eight to 10 teams are spending money. Uh, that might be generous. So right. there's going to be, and I hope that that's not all they're waiting for, but that to me, if they don't go walk or order easy, what's left? And then you're relying on, uh, on, uh, on Luke Casey and Peterson. And that's where the match trade, yes, I know they got pieces and they got... Interesting pieces, but uh, and that's probably needed to change his scenery. But he was a decent pitcher for a number five, for a number four. And with Carrasco now and Stroman back, you didn't need him to be number two. He was yeah, miscast, right. you know, Cindergaard coming back. So you may actually be looking for Steven Matz right now in that type of player. And that's right. the best you're going to get, which is interesting when it's all yeah, said. And well, down. and the fact again,
3: obviously the order of these things matter. And if they had signed Bauer, you know, the plan all works, but that, you know, you're looking at some of these moves where they got rid of mats. Right. And the, and mm-hmm. they got rid uh, and they just designated Brad uh, Brock there for assignment when $2 million they're going to eat. So you're right. kind of like, well, what are they like? It just would seem odd to make those moves unless you had like a real clear plan of who's going to replace them. I think Trevor Rosenthal in the bullpen is another one that a lot of people like he's a righty, but he can get lefties out um so like a move like that makes sense but it just seems like there's just some oddity and again i get it if it was all about signing bauer and then they just missed but it seems like to go all in on a guy like that where you make all these other moves maybe you do a lower bid to springer than then you know you should have all because you thought you were going to sign bauer when you knew bauer was no guarantee right. when he has that connection right. to the dodgers I don't know. It just, that's what's a little odd to me, where, you know, I, I'm expecting like the other shoe to drop here.
0: That's right. The PTSD of uh, old Mets Wilpon ownership. It's going to take some time to get out of that. JB, uh, Jeff uh, blown Mets Fix, uh, joining me here. Uh, I'll give you the name that you guys over at Mets Fix, and a guy I liked that I think it may be better than Rosenthal is Yusmeiro Petit, the old Carlos Delgado trade, come back full circle. Yep. Good numbers, sneaky good numbers, has been around a long time. I think he can be as close to Lugo. Maybe he can't go multiple innings like Lugo, yep. but he can put the the, the workload in. Uh, maybe that's the guy. You know, And I, I actually, in a way, yep. would prefer him over Rosenthal. Rosenthal, to me, again, had a very bad 19 coming back from injury, and there's so many walks in that bullpen. It got yep. better with May and Loop, but Betances, Familia, Diaz, uh, the issue with the Mets' bullpen is not strikeouts and, and, and miss bats. It's that you have to miss so many bats because there's so many runners on, and then all it takes is one hit. You yep. walk two guys, all it takes is one bleeder, and your that's inning blows right. up. So that's a guy, and I, I, that's the kind of pitcher I'd like them to go for. They're putting a lot of stock in McWilliams that that they signed off the scrap yep. heap, uh, and may, maybe they know something we don't. But uh, you brought up his name this morning over at MetsFix. Fix. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah,
3: no, I, I think. And again, this is where I'm just I'm not sure yet with this front office where I, I, it's almost like you're afraid to say like these value fines, you know, like petite because you're you're again like the PTSD. It's almost like you're suggesting they're going cheap. Like when you say value, it's cheap. It's it's more to me of if you put money aside and you just said, you know, who makes sense, who fits in the bullpen. And to your point, you don't need all the same arms. Like sometimes you, you, you want to build a bullpen that works together as a unit where you're showing different looks. And I think that's another thing to consider. So that's why, you know, I think when all of us are just pulling up fan graphs and we're looking at the stats, you, you just, you can't always do that. I think you have to sometimes consider, does this pitcher offer us something a little bit different than someone else we come at a bullpen, a different look. And that's how you can build an effective group I thought with Aaron loop um, to me, that was kind of in that vein. He has, you know, a, a different angle as a left-hander. So it was one thing they needed a left-hander, but it's another, he has a different arm angle. And it's just saying like, you need to have different looks that when you're playing, especially the way the inbound schedule is you're playing the Braves 18 times, you know, that's it, that is important. So that that's, you know, that's why I think that's an, you know, another name to look at. Um But, you know, like I said, it's not an impressive list right now you're going through. And the Mets, they said at the beginning of the offseason and smartly that they need to build some depth in their farm system. So they didn't want to use that capital to improve the team. But I think what we've seen is the trade market has just been more fruitful. And that's why it's really hard as fans, because we don't really know other than what's reported. And a lot of times that's just kind of made up stuff of like who's really available and I, I just do wonder when they're calling around, are, you know, are there some options maybe we don't know as much about that are better than some of these other ones? So I, I always feel like that when I say the unknown, it's not so much like, oh, you know, the Mets are, uh, they don't know what they're doing and you're just going to do some random trade. I think it's more they're evaluating both sides of it and you, you can't overlook that
0: aspect. Absolutely. Uh, out of all the rumored big deals, I, the Chapman stuff—that would be great. That's expensive. I can't see them getting Chapman mm-hmm. uh, to play. Th- it'd be great third base. I right, love JD right. Davis, but but head out on that one. Chris Bryant uh, and and and, and Hendricks—another situation which I'm doubtful. You're also going to lose Chris Bryant if you're, he's a one-year deal, because how are you going to sign? Sure. You know, maybe to edge your bet for Comforto, Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the, the Suarez-Gray-Cincinnati situation is mm-hmm. interesting because yep. they're both controlled for a few years because they have contracts. Together, they make, I think, about $25 million in that range.
1: Right.
0: Yep. Uh, Suarez, to me, is an upgrade to third base with J.D. Davis. I'd be okay with losing J.D. Davis for him. Now, mm-hmm. Sonny Gray is interesting because he's a good pitcher and he fits what you and I are looking for. Had a bad uh, rep in New- with the Yankees. Brian Cashman yes. said he's not a New York guy. But other than that, one year, his first year in New York wasn't horrible. Advanced metrics are pretty decent. He had a bad second year. And I'm sure the due diligence look, Kenny Rogers came back. Everybody laughs. But without Kenny Rogers, the Mets don't make the playoffs in 1999. So just remember that. Uh, that's the one deal. And I don't know what the Reds would want. I certainly wouldn't give up the catching prospect Alvarez. That to me would hurt you. That would be, I think a guy like that would hurt you more than Kelnick down the road. So yep. if you could keep one of those big prospects out, big if that's where I would go. And, and I don't know if J.D. Davis could headline that, but I certainly think you'd have to be in a deal like that.
3: Yeah, no, that's it. Because when you're talking about going after cost control guys, it's less of a money thing, right? So the idea is, you know, the Mets can use their newfound financial power to say, you know, like we've seen with the Nolan Arenado trade and the Francisco Landor trade and Carrasco, it's saying we're going to take these contracts and then that way we don't have to give up a lot in prospects. You know, to me... Like someone like a Chapman, it, they're not at that point in time yet where they're ready to, to you know, where they're worried about the, the contract amount. So that's why you're going to have to give up more. Um, you know, and then the other thing, too, is I think you have to be creative. Like Dom Smith is one that, I you know, I think the fan base, we all like him. But I think you you have to even look at other areas like that and say to yourself, is this a guy who, who we think has a, a, enough value that by moving him, especially without the DH this year, you then open up other opportunities, right. right? So, so to me, it's like it's easy to just look at the roster now and say, like, okay, well, let's just upgrade on JD Davis. I, you know, to, I think there's it's really about how the team feels the future. To me, Dom Smith's a key one, because how you feel his future is kind of dictates how you're going to build out this team. Whether you say, okay, he's going to be the first baseman with Alonzo DHing once the DH comes back, and that's just how it's going to be. Or Is he the one you look to gain some value in another area and then that also sort of helps your outfield situation. Not a lot of people have talked about that because I think a lot of people like Dom Smith, but I think you have to kind of think outside the box, um, you know, with the situation or in with the roster.
0: The other guy that falls into the J.D. Davis, and what's interesting, let's just one more point on J.D. Davis. Everyone loves Justin Turner, and Justin Turner is an elite offensive player, top-third yep. offensive player, but he's got a bad knee, microfracture surgery, that's serious stuff, ended Daniel Murphy's career, and defensively he hasn't been good for a while. J.D. Davis' potential with the bat, if you look at his numbers the second half of 2019, he's right, right up there. He's, right. He was elite in the second. Man, Let's say July 1st, maybe not the exact second half, but you get the point. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that everyone's, well, Justin Turner's there. Justin Turner's clearly yeah. want to play in LA. He's a Southern California yeah. guy. Um, you have JD Davis who defensively is the same. So you can't make the defense argument there. And then you've got Brandon Nimmo and I, you know, I, I don't listen to talk radio all that much because it drives me bananas. Cause I want to be there to rebuttal some of the, but I got people <laughs> listening yesterday, driving for about 20 minutes in the car. I'm listening to the, the people waxing poetic about Jackie Bradley jr. Give him a five year deal. Uh, you know, you need that defense. I'm like, guys, you have an elite run creator. I know not everybody looks at fan graphs. I know a lot of everybody looks at those numbers, but when Brandon Nimmo is healthy and I, I know the neck, that's a serious injury, the herniated mm-hmm. discs. I know a little bit about that. Uh, so you might have to have a head, your bet or, or rest him a little bit, but that he is elite when he's on the field. And I don't think people realize that. And I talked to a scout. who said, if you position him well, and he watched them play in Colorado, not an easy outfield. So he's not horrible. Now, right. I know we see him drop a fly ball and sometimes he runs into the wall and he's goofy out there with a the smile, yeah. but I like him and I'm not ready, whether it was Starling Marte or Jackie, like I can't take the names. I'm like, you have to have a clear cut, better combination of offense, defense. And I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. is that. I, I think, I think you could get away with a defensive replacement and you have that in Elmore. So yep. interesting on that. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And, um, the numbers with jackie bradley jr and we'll see what he actually gets now the way the market is but to me and he is worth 20 million
0: if you base some of the advanced metrics there is a case for that i'm sure boris is not using fan graphs but there's been times where he's been worth that which i didn't think of that
3: that's what he's asking it's amazing it's just i mean i the point that you're you know and again everyone gets on like using war and i and i get it right like who who wants to talk all these advanced metrics but it, it is answering a fundamental question you ask if you don't frame it in terms of war. And that is, is Nimmo's offense good enough to overcome his defensive deficiencies? And then would Jackie Bradley Jr. give you such an increase on defense that it makes up for his shortfalls on offense? And I think in the answers and the metrics is no. I mean, Nimmo is projected war playing center field where they're accounting for his bad defense is higher than Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you know, so to me, that's the point that I think people need to realize is that you're then moving him over to left. And if you don't have the DH, you're losing Dom Smith. And so to me, when I say, you know, if, if you were to do something with Dom Smith, it's just simply saying like George Springer, if you're real, if your worry with Springer was, and I don't know what it was, it was kind of strange how that negotiation went. But if the worry was like, you know, how is everyone else going to fit? It's like, well, for a George Springer, you make it work. For Jackie Bradley Jr., you don't. You, to me, I, I, di- I do not see, there's just not enough added value of him on defense to make up for what he does offensively, which is a, a well below average hitter.
0: As we wrap up here, and I have Jeffrey Ballone, JB, uh, Mets Fix, you guys might remember him from Nick's Film School. I will get one Nick's question in with you. I don't want to leave yeah. you, because you got to know. And the fans are going to go, I'm going to get all the comments. You know, I don't want to hear it Anytime you go outside the Mets on this thing, they, all of a sudden, then it's like, you know, either you're too political or, you know, I don't care about you. I don't try to talk about my personal life, but yeah. it's like, guys, can I ask the guy one question about the mix? But Pocota. So let's get into the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, Pocota, a name from the ex-Met, Bill Pocota, baseball prospectus uh, uh, projections uh, uh, rankings. I have never seen the Mets grayed out well in this for... Well, over 10 years. I, do you remember the Mets ever being grading out going into the season as well as they're, they're projected to be a 95 win team, which yeah. I'm not sure I agree with. I also didn't agree with baseball perspectives when they said they were an 80 win team. Right. Uh, but there's usually a five to six game variance left or right, up, down, whatever. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts? So you look at, I don't know how deep you looked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a team that might score 900 runs. That's with uh, the current lineup without any addition and yeah. assuming health, of course. Uh, I think they have a top five offense, even without, Cano- yeah. you know, Cano had a good year. People forget they lost a bat and they got Lindor. So they certainly made up for it. So what are your thoughts on the Mets? Now the Mets as constituted a 95 win team. And second, what would you guys, what would Mets fix like to see? Assuming we're just doing gravy moves, little tiny around the fringes, forget big moves. What would you guys like to see them round up the roster and do uh, as we head into pitchers and catchers?
3: Yeah, no, and I actually went through in our newsletter at Metropolitan and looked at since 2008, no team has been overvalued by Pocota more than the Mets. Wow. And and they've missed them on average. Now there's been some swings. There's a couple of years, there are 20 w- wins off. And then there's another a, a few years where there are only one win off. But on average, it was about four wins. So what, what I always say to people is if they're saying 95 wins, then, even if you say, Pakoda, this thing's stupid, like it's a bunch of nerds, they're not watching the games, like it means nothing. <laughs> the point is, they're gonna be within five to 10 wins. They, they've yeah. shown that over the years. So, if they're telling you 95, even if you take out 10 wins, you're now at 85. You're right. It's a good
0: baseline. That's a wild card baseline. That You should be able to get into the tournament with that, you know? Right. So to me, that is a good
3: sign because,
0: um, and
3: I think it's often, it speaks to the offense, the top of that rotation. And I think the area that most fans are probably the most concerned in is the bullpen. Someone like Edwin Diaz is going to have a great project projection because his underlying numbers are very good but you know as a fan when you're watching the games you and you see him blow a game you don't have faith and confidence in him right Right. so i think that's usually where there's the biggest discrepancy but i you know i think the numbers high and other projection systems have the mets a little bit lower they have a more around like 88
1: 89 but i I, can see that yeah
3: yeah i don't think i think there's some people i feel like i think it's like way high it's like you know would it shock me if the mets won 95 games no maybe not the way It is now, I think this is the key difference and leads into your follow-up question. I could see them going into the season where they literally signed Tawan Walker, Trevor Rosenthal, and let's say that's it. But then in season, the Mets are gonna be the team that all the way up to the deadline, we're gonna hear attached to stuff and they will go out and make a move. And if they have an injury, unlike in the past, they are gonna. I mean, they just lost Lugo, right? But right, you know, if they really have an issue, if Thor doesn't come back the way they think he will, um, or hope he will, I should say. I mean, they will make a move. So to me, I don't know if as the roster is now, it's ninety-five wins, even with adding these couple final pieces. But I think they're eighty-five, and then they make a move in season. You know, may, maybe you maybe you could get there. But that that to me is the key to remember: the roster's not done just because pitcher and catchers report this week. And then we all have like, okay, that's it. The off season's done. We give our off season grades. There's all the way until July, there are going to be potential for
0: moves. And I think you'll see the Mets be active there. So you got the Mets fixed. So the the newsletters Monday to Friday, well done. It's a great service. You're kind of becoming a trendsetter because now I see Mm -hmm. other people trying to come out. Graphics are great. And it's not just aggregation. You give some interesting uh, opinion analysis. Talk a little bit about, uh, your newsletter. I'm sure many of the people in the audience, because I've been talking about it, have signed up, but if they have it, they should. It's free of charge. Um, what to expect from MetsFix? What is uh, the situation over there?
3: Yeah, no, and appreciate you promoting it now. And you can find it e- probably easiest just going to Twitter at MetsFix um, and then you can sign up there. But yeah, every uh, weekday at 8 a.m., we send out the newsletter. And what you're going to get is along the top a summary of the news. But then we try to make it where, you know, we've all seen kind of the link dumps. And really, to me, same thing with Nick's Film School, when when we set that up, it's, we're fans first, but fans who hopefully have, a, you know, a little more analysis than just like right. your WFAN caller, right? And yep. the idea is like, I just always wanted, I get a bunch of newsletters for everything else, like I'll get a newsletter on business, on politics. And I just felt it was odd, there wasn't something about the Mets, where it right. wasn't just like, okay, I'm gonna have to click on this article, it's, this is what happened here's some context to what it means, and then now here 's a analysis on a topic. we'll pick a different topic each day and we'll go deeper in analysis and we 'll try to mix you know i 'm very conscious of being I want to have sort of the new research and numbers because I want for some people to give them that, but not right. crazy i don 't want right. to go into
1: you know balance I, I it out it.
3: exactly. I want it to have a balance so I think people enjoy it, it it's free. Um, and like I said, it's Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. You'll get it. Uh, so at MetsFix, go to the Twitter account and,
0: and you can check it out. And appreciate you uh, definitely promoting it out. Uh, so the Knicks, real quick, uh, we see finally see we've had a couple of false starts. You had the 2012-2013 season, uh, the win now team uh, after the collapse. You know, I, I really don't get mad about the first 10 years of post playoff success because that was going to happen right yeah it's the kind of the last two restarts that are the aggravating one 2014 and then three four years later you're doing again that's the death now that's how uh, 10 years goes into 20 and then 30 and with Porzingis and everything but do you think we're finally seeing the thaw out good coach uh I guess they're going the Brody Van Wagenen route with the the GM (laughs) but you know who knows maybe it's a little bit different with Leon Rose um, what are your quick, quick feelings? I mean, are you feeling better over there? Are you Knicks Film School? Are they feeling <laughs> as good over the Knicks Film School as they are over here at uh, the fans that tune into my show and, of course, uh, subscribe to Mets Fix? Yeah, no,
3: I, I think so. And, and I'll tie it to baseball. You know, basketball, NBA, it, it's it's different. I mean, think about it. The Mets just got Francisco Lindor. In the NBA, if you get an equivalent player like that, that is franchise changing because it's all about who has yep. these big stars. We're seeing it with Brooklyn. So for the Knicks, they've been stuck where they can't get those big stars, but they also haven't had good, just complementary pieces to attract a big star. And this year we're finally seeing with the progression of some of their rookies and with new rookies, like Emmanuel Quickly, right. where you combine that with good coaching, you're finally getting like a good product. And I think Knicks fans are always battling, do we want to tank for a draft pick or do we want to like, you know, try to be good and competitive? And most of the time- people rather have them tank because they don't want to get stuck in the middle where you don't get a good draft pick and you don't compete. But I think after this long run and seeing the fact that it's young players contributing to their better record, I think more fans are accepting now of saying, all right, I'm done with tanking. Let's just have our young guys get better and win games with them. And then we add real talent and maybe, you know, you're onto something.
0: And you don't have to worry about fans booing because, well, there will be fans (laughs) soon. Soon, Maybe that'll right. help out a little bit. Let's see. it be yeah. interesting to see how that goes. Well, listen, JB, you've been great. I want to do this again. I, yeah, I can't absolutely. say it enough. Very, very well done newsletter. You're pioneering. I mean that sincerely. You deserve a ton of credit for what you do. And it's not easy. Believe me, the graphics alone would take me all night to do. Yes, so I don't yeah. know how you do it. God bless your family over there. So anyway, yeah. be well. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Let's do this again, my friend. All righty. All right. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks. And that's Jeff Ballone at MetsFix, and away you go. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap up and more right after this. and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, I'm going to make this quick as we wrap up here on the latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You guys want to get out and enjoy Valentine's Day with your significant other. You don't want to be listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Nah, I'm joking on there. Hey, I want to thank uh, Jeffrey Balone, Jeff Balone, JB, uh, at MetsFix on Twitter. Again, like I told you, if you're not subscribed to the metropolitan newsletter, get there now, get to Twitter now, go on MetsFix.com, at MetsFix on Twitter, subscribe to the newsletter, you will not be disappointed, Monday to Friday, one a day, comes there at 8 o'clock in the morning, just a way to get your coffee, start your day, and go out there and and read some really good Mets content, and hopefully more to come from the Mets, and uh, a couple of smaller moves, between when JB and I had our conversation earlier today and now, but um, you know, again, I, I, I reiterate what I said in the open. There's reason to be concerned because of history of not only the executive in charge, Alderson, but also you guys all still have that wolfpon smell on you. It'll, it'll, it'll fade away. It will. Um, but you got to just take a step back and realize that there's a lot at play here. This is very complicated. Winning now, building an organization, key players that are free agents coming up in the next year to two years. So measuring twice and cutting once is a good strategy because I don't think they missed out on anybody that potentially is not, is, re, is not irreplaceable. Bauer is a guy that I would have been mad if they didn't try to make a move, and they did, and they lost. And you get beat, you get beat. So that's how I would leave it. But we'll see. Pitchers and catchers are here. Workouts are here. I think it was Jordan Yamamoto, the new Mets uh, pitcher acquired for the Marlins, tweeted out a, a picture of him driving up to Port St. Lucie this morning. And Jeff McNeil's talking about his golf game. And before you know it, the Riders will be down in Port St. Lucie. I think they're going to go down there physically, even though everything will be on Zoom. And uh, we'll be talking baseball. We'll be talking baseball and results. 162 game season. Uh, still some silly rules but I think we're past pandemic baseball and pandemic talk. And I don't want to hear about health and safety protocols. They're there. Let's just, let's just play ball. Let's move forward. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear about 162 game season and, and maybe fans in the stands. We see that now with Cuomo lifting or the restrictions for the Knicks and the Nets and arenas. We'll see what happens with baseball in April. And hopefully things continue to go in the right direction. All right. You could check me out all the time at the talking You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva media and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at com No G, Mike Silva at com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of the week. If you got a couple of minutes, leave me a review on Apple iTunes. Would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everybody.